this morning, Acts chapter 5. And, and again, I want to thank you for being here today. Um, we're going to continue our series here in a little bit, going through the book of Acts and uh, getting to kind of a, an interesting chapter here in just a moment. Um, like I said, I hope your week's been good. It's been interesting for me. This is the week that I always put um, soccer teams together and do all that kind of fun stuff. And you say, well, Brother Phil, that's pretty simple, right? You just take kids, throw them on a team, you'll do good, no problem. Well, uh, every kid just about has a sibling. They need to practice on the same night as them. They really like this shirt color, and they really like this coach, and they really like this. And if you can make that work out for all 221 of them that are signed up, that would be precious. And then I told Sunday school today, I said, I just, just kind of pray, God, help me in the ones I choose to make mad, okay, that they'll still love me at the end of it. There not be too many church members, I guess, if you have to do it like that. But uh, again, thank you for being here. Looking forward to uh, this evening's service. We'll be continuing our series in the book of Colossians. We're in chapter 3. What a great chapter. i just tell you up front is that you have favorite verses, life verses, uh, favorite chapters. Philippians 4 is probably my favorite chapter. It's the one that talks about be anxious or be worrisome for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and let the peace of God that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Can I tell you, Colossians 3, if you really read that whole chapter, man, there's a lot there, too, talking about if you're a believer, if you be risen with Christ, some really good things there. And so uh, we're looking forward to uh, that tonight. And like I said, soccer and everything going on. If you're visiting with us, thanks for being here with us today. Uh, you're an honored guest. Love to get a chance to meet you and talk to you here in just a little bit. But uh, we're going to read in Acts chapter 5. But before I can really start, as we've been progressing going through the book of Acts, and in case you haven't been with us or you missed a week or so, I don't want you to feel like you're late to the party. We are kind of looking in the book of Acts as far as what the acts of not just the apostles, but the act of what the Holy Spirit was doing in the life of believers and in the church after Jesus had ascended and went back into heaven. And we said the theme verse for all of the book of Acts is found in chapter 1, verse 8. Where Jesus says, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. By the way, I said that ought to be a great verse to all everybody in this room. You know why? Because we're the uttermost part of the earth. It didn't start in Milledgeville. It didn't start in Tennessee. It didn't start in any other places. The gospel with Christ, it started with Jerusalem, and it spread to where we're at today. And we've looked at a lot of great things and a lot of fun things we've looked at. And before I can get into Acts chapter 5, uh, I do want to finish with the last two verses just to read to give us some context as we come to uh, chapter number 5. But it's in chapter 4, and I'd like to read the last two verses, verses 36 and 37, and then we'll pray and get into our study. But Acts 4, verse 36 and 37, it says, And Joses, or Joseph, who by the apostles surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation or the son of encouragement, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. We'll pray, and then we'll get into our study today. I will lift up mine eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Father, we just want to thank you for being our help. Lord, I pray in, in this morning, in this time that we have together, these next moments, Lord, I pray all of us would realize how much we really need help. Lord, I pray we would not be consumed with the facade of whatever it is our life is and that we have control. But God, I pray in the next few moments you would speak through your word and not through me. I pray you might use me in spite of me. But Lord, I pray as we look into your word that you might open our eyes to whatever it is you have for us today. 
Lord, I know there's people in this room today that, that are hurting. And Lord, I just pray that you might give help. You might give comfort. Lord, there's probably some in here that feel like they're just searching right now and they just don't see a lot of point. Lord, I pray you might lead them in a plain path. Lord, for those like me in my life that need conviction, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit might, in that sweet, still, soft voice, Lord, show me what needs to be right. Lord, be with those working with the children this morning, Lord, nursery and children's church, Lord, may those workers find favor in the eyes and ears of those children, Lord, may you save those that are that are lost and lord draw those and uh, encourage those lord that are in the faith and lord i just pray in this room lord i know there's got to be people that that they're here but their heart is maybe in a different place maybe it's in pain i just thank you that you're the god that's more lord i pray may we make much of jesus as we look at your word in his name we pray amen you know, this week we're going to look at some things that are true about the church. And like I said, we, in the book of Acts, we deal a lot with the church and, and, and what's going on. But we said as you read the book of Acts, it's kind of one of those books that if you hear someone say that Scripture is prescriptive, meaning that you read it and you can immediately ingest it and apply it exactly how it is in your life. And then there's passages of Scripture that are descriptive, which means uh, God is just telling us what happened. Uh, in that we can still probably apply some things in our life, but it's not exactly what, what we should do. It's not exactly meant for us to do in there. It's just there to help us, give us an example. For instance, last week we looked in Acts chapter number 4 and Acts chapter 3, where it actually says Peter and John went up to the lame man and said, and took him by the hands and said, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, that's pretty descriptive, because I, I just encourage you, don't walk out of here today and you see somebody say, hey, in the name of Jesus, rise up, because I believe Peter was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to do that. But that doesn't mean I cannot make that prescriptive, meaning there are people I need to reach out to. They may not have a physical need that I can do anything about, but everybody in this world needs Christ. And they need somebody that says, hey, let me love you enough to tell you about Christ. And what we're going to look at here in this passage is, is, is something that's really for the church and for people. And by the way, when I say church, I ain't talking about this building. I ain't talking about a membership. The church is made up of a local body of believers, okay? We're all just messed up people that are saved by the grace of God trying to go down the right road of pleasing him. That's what we all are. And that's what we're trying to do. You say, no, 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 there's the people that church are perfect. Trust me, they're not. And uh, whatever church that is, you're talking about here, they're not perfect, okay? I know, they know me, we're not perfect. So we just got that part done and we keep going. But when we look at the idea of what, the idea of what God has for the church, and I think we can apply this passage in chapter five in a moment to all of us and ourselves and and just kind of last week, we looked at the idea of this, is when, when the word of God is faithfully proclaimed, there's going to be two responses. There's going to be those that hear the gospel and going to receive it and with joy are going to apply it to their lives, whether it's salvation, whether it's sanctification, meaning more like Christ, and they're going to have joy and receive it. And there's going to be those that reject it. There's going to be those that hear whatever it is God has for them that day, and they're going to say, nope, not for me, and it may make them minimize it, may even turn them to anger. It might do a lot of different things, and we looked at that in chapters 3 and 4 uh, last week with that. But this week, what I want us to do is not look at what's going on, on the outside of the church here at Jerusalem. I joke, I call it First Baptist of Jerusalem, okay, or whatever you want to call it. But I want us to look at what's going on inside of the church. What's going on with these people that are meeting together and they're daily and all the things that are going on. And let's see, because if we, as we finished up reading, it says at this point, it says that all, all these people had all things common 
and it looks pretty awesome. It looks pretty genuine. They're sharing everything. They're glad-hearted. They're marked by gratitude. They're marked by praise. And, and chapter 2, again, in chapter 5, we'll see, it talks about how they're just really described as glad, with gladness. By the way, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to describe your life and my life? Man, they're just always glad. They have gladness. Doesn't, mind, doesn't mean they walk around smiling like an idiot all the time. But it does mean this, man, their life is a life of gladness. That's a glad person. Now, you say that means happy feel. That's not possible, as we like to say around here. Happiness is based on happenings. Joy is an attitude and spirit that comes from God that we accept or we reject. I can have joy in the midst of the worst things going on in the world. It doesn't mean I'm happy about them. But that's a feeling. That's an emotion with those kind of things that we see here. And up to this point, this seems like a very happy group of people. And one of the things I want us to see here is this, is we've noticed that I really believe through Scripture that God has based two main institutions in life. One of them is, a, uh, is what we call the home. But both of the institutions, and the church is the other, both these institutions, I believe, are, are meant by God to have an establishment of being safe and being life-giving by being encouraging, by being helping, and people flourish in their life and their walk with God. As I mentioned, the home is one of those places, and we're not going to take time to do it, but you know we live in a world today that there's a lot of children that are exposed to things that are going on in their homes or maybe pulled away from their families and different things that are going on because sin has taken precedent and pride and selfishness has taken precedent that, you know what, things you wish children would never even be close to, they have to endure. Maybe some of you in this room have endured that and been through that. What was meant to be life-giving, what was meant to be as an example and a model of pointing people to Christ, it's just not what it needs to be. But can I tell you today, the other institution has, that's mentioned in Scripture that's supposed to be life-giving, that's supposed to be loving, that's supposed to be encouraging, that's supposed to help people flourish in their growth and their relationship with Christ, is the church. And it's supposed to add guidance. It's supposed to be protecting. If you can be honest, maybe you can, maybe you can't. But our reality is if we're just looking at the church in Jerusalem and we're just looking at the fact they had all things common, they were glad, there doesn't seem to be a lot of disunity yet. Doesn't seem to be much backbiting. Seems like everybody's sharing everything, everything's going well. Nobody's got out of line. Nobody's been putting time out yet. You know, everybody's behaving. You know, everything's going good so far. But if we're honest, probably every person in this room could say, that's not been my church life. That's not been the way I've experienced church over the years. Maybe we could be honest and say this. Hey, my church background involves me being in a church where maybe I felt like I was wounded. We call that church hurt, right? Maybe you felt betrayed. Maybe you didn't feel cared for. Maybe you felt neglected. Maybe you saw some stuff that made you really question God. Maybe you questioned the reality of God. You know, I don't normally do this, but I just ask you, in your life of church and going to church, wherever it's been, if you've ever had that kind of situation in your life where you've been hurt, where a place is supposed to be loving and giving and, and helpful and instructing, if you've ever been a little bit of church hurt or disappointed, would you slip your hand up just for a second? You do that? I'll, I'll have both of my hands up. Okay, keep it up just for a second. Look around you. You know what that means? You're not alone. You can put your hands down. You say, Brother Phil, why do you have us raise our hands? Because it's like a form of testimony. Everyone's had that struggle. And you know what? A lot of times when you go through something like that, you think it's all you. I'm the only one that's endured that. But I tell you, we've all endured some things like that, possibly. Me say, no, Brother Phil, I've been in one church, or, or I've been, my church experience has been great. Everything has been wonderful. Praise God for you, <laughs> okay? That's great, and I hope it doesn't change. I hope it don't change here, okay? 
But uh, what I want to tell you, and I, what, I, what I want us to understand is that people, and you're looking at a person, we can do things sometimes that make you really question, even in a place we call the body of Christ, that really make you wonder sometimes, is God really loving? Is God really real? Are we really discipling? Are we really going forward in this? You know, one of the little uh, sayings I like to say and to repeat over and again is this, and I kind of mentioned it earlier. To understand something, there are no perfect churches ever. You're like, no, Brother Phil, when I, when I was a kid and I went, I went to this church, that was, the, that was the perfect church. Can I just pop your balloon for a moment? It wasn't the perfect church. And, you know, I've heard people over the years, not necessarily here, but in other places, everybody here loves everybody. We're good, right? Everybody smiles, shows both your teeth. Okay, good. Everybody's good, right? Man, I'm just going to go find that perfect church. Can I tell you something? One, it doesn't exist. Two, if it happens to exist, it's going to cease when you walk through the door. If it makes you feel any better, it would cease when I walk through the door. If someone said, man, Brother Phil, you ought to go to Emmanuel, man. Go to Emmanuel. It is the perfect church. You know what I would say? Man, I don't need to go there because when I walk through the door, perfection is going to go by. It's going to go out the door. Can I tell you something? A lot of times we read the book of Acts and we read this Jerusalem. I'm joking. It's not called First Baptist of Jerusalem. Okay. We read it and we go, man, that church is perfect. Can I be honest with you? They had a pretty good first few months. And then you roll into chapter 5 here in just a moment. If you're here and maybe you're new or maybe you've been coming here for a little bit, can I tell you something? Hopefully, Lord willing, you're going to have some months that everything's going to look great. Music's going to sound great. Everything's going to look good. You're going to love the green. I mean, everything's going to be great in your life, okay? You might love the preaching, love everything at all. But can I tell you something? Because a church is made up of broken, messed up people, I hope it's not intentional. But can I tell you something? We're going to let you down sometime. We're going to fail you. I'm probably going to fail you. I hope I don't. It may, it, hopefully it won't be intentionally. And it might be intentionally. <laughs> I don't know. Because I made the same stuff you are, if, I, if, if I'm correct. Okay? But here's the thing. There is not a perfect church. There's the facade of that. But I want us to see something that became prevalent in this church at Jerusalem as God is saving thousands of people, by the way, that if I'm not mistaken, could be easily pre prevalent in our church here today and churches all throughout our country and all throughout the world in these different things here. So as we look at this, we ended with uh, verse 36 and 37. We read that, and we, and we see what? We see uh, Barnabas, and it talks about Barnabas, and, and, and later on we're going to really study him. We're not going to touch him yet. There's a lot of great things about Barnabas later on in the book of Acts, being the son of consolation, the son of encouragement. He's known by being an encouraging person. I won't ask you if that's you today. We'll ask you about that in a couple weeks, okay, as far as if you're that person of encouragement. And what's going on seems to be good and right. It's being celebrated. They're committing things together when someone had a need. I mean, you think about it. They sold what they had. Hey, this brother or sister's in need. Let's help them out. I mean, it looked great. I mean, they were doing it. And it talks about Barnabas here. So Barnabas says, you know what? I want to be in on this. You know, God has saved me. God's doing great things. So I'm going to sell my plot of land. And I'm going to bring the money. And I'm going to lay it down at the apostles' feet so they can help and love on people because what God has done for me in my life. And he just gave it to them. And there seems to be this great excitement. Everybody starts praising God. Everybody in the church starts praising God. Barnabas comes in, hey, man, you guys do this, what you need to do with it. Be a blessing to someone. Do what you ever need to do with it. 
And it's amazing. And there's a man sitting there watching that name, Ananias. And we're going to see his response to that as he's part of this church. Let's read verses 1. And I'm going to read a few verses here down a little bit. So if you want to follow along with me in Acts 5, please do. But it says in chapter 5, verse 1, remember, Barnabas uh, has come and everyone's celebrating everything. It says, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira's wife sold a possession and kept back part of the price his wife also being privy to it or knew about it and brought a certain part and fit the apostles' feet. Verse 3, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. That means he died. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose and, and wound him up and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. Verse 8. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether you sold the lamb for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at her feet and yielded up the ghost, and she died too. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. Well, I would guess so, huh? Whew. I mean, I would guess so. I mean, I guess there would be great fear when God is killing people for lying. I would not last very long in that environment if God just killed people for lying. You know, with that part of. But there's all sorts of things that we can pull out from this text. And I tell you, this is the text that people stay away from. You know why? Because they believe this text is all about giving money. Can I tell you something? This text is not about giving money. I've heard preachers use this text and try to beat and hammer over people's head. This is about giving and not tithing. and not. This is bigger than giving money. You're like, well, it's. It's about something else then. If it's not about giving, it's not about tithing. No, it's about, you know, the attitude that they had. No, it's bigger than their attitude. It's bigger than the amount of the, of the gift. It's something bigger than that. There is something in this context that is huge because you don't see Jesus a few chapters earlier. You don't see Jesus as he's sitting there and people are giving and giving into the, the, the pot, so to speak, there, the offering plate. And the widow gave her might. And we all know how God, Jesus responded to that. You don't see God standing there when people didn't give what we think people should give and say, okay, dead, okay, dead, okay, dead. So it's obviously there's something bigger than just giving money here. And what it is, I think, brothers and sisters in Christ, can I tell you, I think it's the same thing we all face every day. Something called hypocrisy. Being a hypocrite. By the way, you ever talk to somebody, I go to church, but it's full of hypocrites. We're like, great. One more is not going to hurt, is what I want to say. You're not going to tip the scale, man. You walking in, the roof is not going to cave in. Jump in, the water's fine. But I want us to look at something today with the idea of this. The sin of Ananias and Sapphira was not the sin of not giving the right amount of money. The sin of Ananias and Sapphira was the sin of hypocrisy. It was pretending instead of being. They wanted to pretend that they were really following Christ. They wanted to pretend 
what they were doing. They wanted everyone else to think a certain thing about them when they truly weren't that. It's called playing pretend. You ever play pretend? Yeah, I mean, I, I got, you know, my little girl Chloe, she's eight, so she's kind of the last one in the group that I have that likes to play makeup stuff, you know, not, not makeup stuff, but pretend stuff, you know what I mean? I call it playing pretend. So we go in there and we do these things and we talk and, and I'm on the floor, you know, and I got four Barbies in this hand and she's got this box that's got a hotel. We're doing all these kind of things. You know what we're doing? It's not real life. We're pretending that it's real. Are you pretending today? Are you pretending to be something that you're not? Are you pretending to, to be spiritual when you're not spiritual? Are you pretending and wanting this look just so other people look at you and go, man, look at that Christian. And I'm asking myself, am I pretending to act like a pastor that really loves God, loves his family, but I'm up here just doing it so you can see it? A lot of Christians today are playing the hypocrisy game. We pretend instead of being what we claim and want other people to see. We're just going through the motions. And can I tell you, it cost Ananias and Sapphira their lives. Because if you notice, and I'm trying to get too far ahead of myself here, Ananias and Sapphira, what did Peter say? You ain't lying to me. Your life and the way you live and the words that come from your mouth, you're not lying to me. You're lying to God. God is not mocked. That doesn't mean God is not fooled. It means God will not allow a mockery to be made of himself. And we're going to see some things here as we look through this passage and understanding some things I think we all need to grasp and understand what we're fighting. Because one of the drifts that I think befalls church people, church-going Christians, however you want to say it, is this drift towards hypocrisy. And, and I have in my notes this. It's the desire to pretend to look more mature than we actually are. To pretend to look further down the road spiritually than we really are. But instead, we truly want to seek and we're hungry for the praise of people more than we are for the praise of God. Can I tell you what Ananias and Sapphira did? They loved. Barnabas brought the offering. Barnabas brought it all, and he had the right heart. I want to give it to God. You guys do whatever it is you want to do with it. No strings attached. That's a whole sermon by itself. No strings attached. You do whatever you want. And everyone started clapping and rejoicing and getting excited. And Ananias sat over and go, man, look at all these people clapping for Barnabas. I want them to clap for me. I want to be the one they're clapping for. I want the ones that walk up saying, man, God bless you. Man, you're awesome. God bless you. They want, they want to hear that. And because of that, you see the effects and some things that have happened here. And, and can I tell you, it will always be true until in, in the life of church and, and people until the return of Christ is that there will always be the tendency to be hypocritical. Every one of us. Well, you say, Brother Phil. I'm not hypocritical. Well, just keep breathing in and out a little bit longer. <laughs> Ever since I've got saved, I haven't been a hypocrite. Well, I'm glad you got saved in Sunday school this morning because it's going to be a rough after you get through the rest of the, the week, okay? We all have that tendency. We all have those things. And by the way, if you are like me a lot of days and you're a hypocrite, doesn't mean you're the worst person on earth, okay? We can be getting out of that. We can use that as a blessing to point us back to Christ or we can use it where we're actually drawing people further and further away from Christ and deceiving our own selves, as it talks about in James, what? Be doers of the word and not hearers only. That's a hypocrite. Why? Because you're deceiving your own self. Some people, possibly even in this room, are so hypocritical that they don't even know it. They don't even know it because they swallowed the lie. 
they swallowed what they think and and these other things that we're going to see down through here and and, and like I mentioned about the, uh, hypocrisy, can, can I give you the definition of it? The definition given is this. It's a pretense of having virtuous character. It's a moral or religious belief of having principles that one does not truly possess. It's the what? It's the moral or religious belief or principles that one claims to have which they truly do not possess. And, and what you saw happening in this text like I said, Ananias knows uh, Barnabas. He sold the land. Everyone's giving glory to God, and everyone's seeing that how he has an open hand. He's generous, and, and he craved not the praise of God. Ananias craved the praise of man. Man, I want to hear him clap. I want to hear that. And he sought glory for himself rather than the glory of God. And according to this text, you see that he schemed a little bit. Look, look back in verse three and four. But Peter. Ananias, why has Satan filled my heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the lamb? While his remain, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart that thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God? Peter's accusation of him is this, why did you scheme like this? I mean, he's like, Ananias, nobody, no one had a gun to your head saying, man, you got to sell your property, man. Give all of it to the church. Ain't nobody telling them. Peter didn't stand up and say, and by the way, before I close in my sermon today, everyone needs to sell everything they have and give it to the church. That's not what, that's not in the sermon. He's like, why are you scheming like this? Why are you doing this? And even to his wife in verse 9, Sapphira, he says, how is it that ye have agreed to tempt the spirit of the Lord? He's like, why did you scheme together with this? And Ananias scheme, and he basically says, I know what I'll do. I'll sell it. I'll kind of make a sell here. I'll keep some of the money for myself, and then I'll act like I give it all, and everybody will praise me, and God says, thou fool, thy life is required right now. This day, you'll stand before me. You know why hypocrisy is such a horrible, horrible thing in the life of a believer? Because you never know the moment God says, let's meet. It's time. You think Ananias would have done that? Sapphira would have done that if they knew that was the day they would stand before their Savior. Not a chance. But it's interesting as we study these things, and there's some things as we look at here, the idea of hypocrisy, pretending instead of being, and, and a couple of things I want us to see today is this. Number one, I want to see how do we become hypocrites? I said, Brother Phil, you can close your Bible. We can pray go home, man. I've already got that figured out, okay? But I really think it's good to take a moment and look at this. How is it? How does it happen? How do, how do we become hypocrites? And and really, I feel like in a sense there for, you know, the idea of hypocrisy, the idea of damaging the name of Christ. You know, how do we do that? Well, I really believe there's two elements to that, if you will. How do we become hypocrites? There's really two elements. The first element is this, is that we forget what the gospel teaches us about ourselves and our relationship to the Lord. How do I become a hypocrite? Because I forget what the gospel says about me and it also forget what it says about my relationship to the lord and if you think back a couple of weeks what did, what have i been saying the last couple of weeks that was just on repeat about the gospel what does the gospel do it meets us where we are it tells us the truth about ourselves it provides forgiveness and righteousness in christ but the gospel demands a response one of the way or the other it demands a response and we talked about that, especially last week, the idea of not just God meets us where we're at,
but the idea of understanding that God, with Scripture, when we read this book, when you sit in a sermon, when you're listening to something in the, on the radio as you're going down the road, or to a podcast, the idea is that the gospel tells us the truth about ourselves. And can I tell you what the gospel tells me when I open that book a lot of times? I ain't got it all right. And that's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing to pick up this book and to read it, to sit in a church service, to have a devotion, and for God to look at you and say, you know what, you ain't got it all worked out. You're not all good. Can I tell you, if God looks at my life and says, man, you got it good, just keep on clicking, then I'm without hope because I know who I really am. I know the dark places in my mind and heart. I know who I am. I don't need God to look at me every time I pick up this book and say, doing good, kiddo, just keep it up. Now, don't get me wrong. I need encouragement. You need encouragement when you're doing what's right because you know that. And, you know, it's great when the gospel and God shows up and tells me that I'm not all right. And what I mean, how do we become a hypocrite? We become a hypocrite because we think this. We were a sinner saved by the grace of God, but we forget after we're saved, I'm still a sinner every day that needs God's grace to make it today, tomorrow, and the next day until I get to see him. I become a hypocrite when I forget that I'm still a sinner. Now, I'm saved. You say, Brother Phil, when you got saved, you no longer became a sinner. Let me ask you a question. You lied since you've been saved? So what are you? A liar. You gossip since you've been saved? What are you? A Baptist. Okay, we got it. Okay, we got uh. Some of y'all get really aggravated about that. Don't get aggravated, okay? I'm just being serious, okay? No, don't get aggravated about that. Can I tell you, I was a sinner saved by the grace of God, and I am made part of the family of God, but I'm still a child of God, a child of the King that every single day is a sinner, that my heart is prone to wonder, and I need God's grace every single day. And when you forget that, you start down the road of being a hypocrite. And it will show. And how you treat people, how you love and don't love people, it will show. You say, Phil, I've been saved for 40 years. Praise God. You've been fighting hypocrisy for 40 years, hopefully. You might not have been fighting it. Might have embraced it. But when we forget, how do I become a hypocrite? Is whenever I forget that I still need grace. What does it say? That others may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The danger of being a hypocrite is that our lives proclaim and damage the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if you leave here and you're part of Emmanuel, you whatever it is, you're part of you leave here, and I think to myself, man, they did this, man, oh man, what did they do to Emmanuel? It's a whole lot more important what you do to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ than what you ever do to the name of a church. When you're more concerned about hurting the name of the church than you are hurting the name of Christ, you show what your God is. Some of us in this room are more concerned about our family's last name than we are that we are a child of the king. It's just the grace of God I'm in the family I was born in. It's whether or not I'm hurting the one that loved me, that gave himself for me, that was sinless, that was it says, I'll give him enough grace to save him, and I'll give him enough grace for today. And when he falls flat on his face, when he turns and runs and becomes holier than thou, I have enough grace whenever he decides to come back to me. I become a hypocrite when I forget who I really am. And really, my relationship isn't ever much in need of saying that. 
And what ends up happening over and over again in history is this. And I kind of give it to you maybe a little bit better of an example. And that maybe you've come here and you've been a part of here for a little bit and you've heard the word of God and you've kind of received it. And then after a little while, you kind of sit around here and you, you sit around in the church and maybe you're like, oh, okay, this, this is what the people that go to church here look like. This, this is how they talk. This is how they act. And so, so what do we do a lot of times? We start kind of taking on the culture of the environment, the church that we're a part of. You know, it, it kind of gives you this idea. Like if you, if you started going to a church for a while, and maybe every time anyone says anything, they shout, amen, glory to God. Guess what's probably going to happen? You're probably after a while going to say, after something said, you're going to say, amen, glory to God. The problem is you're probably going to be saying it during the wrong time. I had a preacher one time saying it. I thought it was the funniest thing I ever heard. He says, you know those people that just, it's the habit, it's not a heart, it's just a habit. Amen, amen, amen. And he says, you know what he did? He said, I got up and was preaching at this church, and he says, you know what? I have the third leading cause of death in my life. I have type 1 diabetes. And one guy goes, amen, like that, and chanted it out. <laughs> He's like, thank you, sir. Why? You know, kind of one of those things. And by the way, please understand me. There's nothing wrong with raising a hand. There's nothing wrong with saying amen. But if we're doing it because we want someone else to see us do it, we do it because we want someone else to hear us do it, there's something wrong. But if I can lean in just a second, if God does speak to your heart and you clam up because the person two rows in front of you might hear you and think less of you, shame on you. Bible does say, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We start hanging on chandeliers around here. I'm going to create a back door. I'm telling you that right now. <laughs> but isn't it true? People in a church long enough start developing whatever the culture of that church is. I tell people all the time when they come here. I know not everyone in this room is like this. I tell people when they visit, especially if they're a little like me. I just want to let you know, people are going to touch you when you come to church. They're going to shake your hand. They're going to hug you. They're going to hold on for a minute. And then they're all going to run to the back and hit that hand sanitizer. That's what they're going to do. They're going to do that, you know. And I warn people, I know not everybody in this room is that way. Hey, I know in the six years I've been here, there's been people stop coming here because they're so, oh, with that. That's okay. That's why at the end of the day, whether we fellowship for a while, if we don't fellowship at all, have hands taken time. That's not the reason we're here. We're here because of this book. That's why we're here. Whether we sing 80 songs or whether we don't sing at all. Whether we take up an offering or we still take up an offering. You know, we're, we're, we're here. I'm just kidding. We're not here for that, man. We're not here for that. But you, you know what I'm talking about. People, after a while, take on the culture of their church. They do. Like if I got up here and start ranting and raving saying, hey, this is the school that all your kids need to go to, and you don't love your kids unless you put them in this school, you would probably do one of two things. Either you run out the door and say, well, I really hate that school, but I guess I'm going to send my kids there. See, we make mountains and goals out of the wrong things in churches. We make sacred cows, and some of you might know what I mean when I say that, out of things that have no idea, no, no position to be idols. We say sacred cows because it makes me feel a little better in a church. When it comes down to it, the only thing we need to do is love Christ, love people, and dive into this word and live a life out there that says, I'm still a sinner. I need grace. Let me share the love of Christ with you. And when I don't do those things, I start becoming a hypocrite. I start going down that road. The second part of that I want us to see is this. How do we become a hypocrite? 
The first element is that we kind of forget what the gospel teaches about ourselves and that. But the next part of how we become a hypocrite is this. Is that we need to understand that the gospel teaches you and I that this, we're a process. Sanctification is a process. Say, what is sanctification? Being made separate, being made more like Christ. Being more like Christ. It means to be sanctified, means to leave a little bit of who I am and to be made more like Christ. And can we all agree that being made like Christ is not an instant thing? It's a lifelong commitment. Because I take four or five great steps sometimes in my walk to be like Christ. And then there's some weeks I just jumped a mountain going the wrong way. It's a process. And I become a hypocrite sometimes because I've made two or three good steps. What's your problem? You've been saved longer than I have. What's your problem? Man, that whole moat, beam, speck thing, that gets pretty big then, doesn't it? Please don't ever forget to whom much is given, much is required. Some of you may be in this room, you've been going to church all your life. Much has been given. Much is required. And it frightens me to think about this, but one day I'll stand before God and give an account for every single time I stood up here and preached. You're saying, oh, that's awesome. It's terrifying. It's terrifying for me to really think in my heart of hypocrisy a lot of times how many times I stood behind this pulpit and preached as a hypocrite and not been right with God. But, you know, we, we do that sometimes. We forget that what? It's a process. And can I tell you the process of sanctification, becoming like Christ, can I tell you something that is so freeing to know that I'm not perfect? That's awesome. It's awesome to know that I'm not perfect. That doesn't give me a license to sin now, okay? You run back to Galatians if you need to. That doesn't give me a license to sin. But it's wonderful to know that the Bible is clear, is that I am going to, as long as I breathe in and out, I'm going to fight with this whole idea of becoming more like Christ and not like what my flesh and self wants to be. It's going to be a process in that. It's what we're all going to do. You say, well, Brother Phil, what about uh, holiness? I am positionally holy. You always like to quote 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And he was made to be sin for us who knew no sins, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's true. Positionally, when God looks at me now, he does not, because of Christ, if I'm saved, and I am, that Christ looks at me, he doesn't see my sin anymore. God as the Father doesn't see my sin. He sees the blood of Jesus. He sees holy. So I am positionally holy. But the way I live my life a lot of times is not be holy as I am holy. Does that make sense? If you're here, you're saved. God doesn't look at you and say, the price of sin, the wrath of God has to come on you, which is hell. We are positionally in Christ holy, but sanctification is a lifelong process. By the way, we can be so far away from God that we become hypocritical. Say, so what do you mean? I know I'm going away from God, but you know what? I know who they really are. Let them go to church. I know who they really are. Let him quote a Bible verse on Facebook. I know who he is. By the way, Facebook's the only place in the world you can quote a Bible verse and a curse word in the same time, and everybody thinks you're a great Christian. I'll just leave that there, okay? Don't want to, but I'm going to leave that there. Yep, I'm going to leave it there. All right, we're going to go. It's a process. Can I tell you, when God looks at me and looks at you, he sees more than simple positional holiness. He actually desires for you to be more like his son. God looks at me and sees 
saved by the blood of the lamb of his son, but he still desires to see my actions live like his son. And he does you too. And when I don't live like his son, being a hypocrite. I'm saying it's different. And that's hard, man. We're all going to deal with this. Phil. The only thing you've let me know is that I'm going to struggle with this to the day I die. That's right. But are you fighting it? Are you fighting it? Are you seeking the Holy Spirit to help you to point those things out? That's why the more I get in this book, the more this book shows me my blind spots. And I got them. You don't have to tell me. I got them. But that's why this book does. So people run away from church. They run away from the Bible because they don't want to be reminded of what they kind of already know is as bad as what it really is. And so we run from that, and we, and we don't want to be that way. And, and I tell you, when you forget these two things, that you're a sinner in need of grace and that being made like Christ is a process, you're very much tempted to become a hypocrite and go away from God, even though you're sitting right in the middle of a church on Sunday morning. So let's go to number two. <laughs> There's only two points, okay? So some of you are like, Ooh. okay, good. So hypocrisy, pretending instead of being, we see what does it mean or what does it look like to be a hypocrite? So number two, I become hypocritical, number two, because of not willing to have relationships that expose where I'm struggling. You don't want to know why I become a hypocrite a lot. You don't want to know why I'm hypocritical because I'm not willing a lot of times to have those relationships in my life that will expose where I struggle. There's a lot of people today that have struggles with things in their life and they won't tell a soul. You know why? Pride. I mean, Phil, you really want me to tell people how messed up I am? Now, I'm not saying you proclaim it from the rooftops. That's that Facebook joke again, okay? But you know what? If you won't have accountability in your life because you're scared of what people will really know who the real you is, you're a hypocrite because you're prideful. You ever have a kid, like one of your kids run up to you and something, they're crying and something's wrong, or maybe not even that. You just look at them. My mama could look at me and could tell something was wrong. She could look at me and tell me that I was all jacked up. It's kind of like, Mom, I know you say you got eyes in the back of your head, but you got them in my brain. I mean, I know. How do you know I'm about to do this? And you say, well, Brother Phil, David encouraged himself in the Lord. Only person I need is the Lord. That's great. But that was also one of the lowest moments of David's life. All his other men wanted to kill him. I would need to encourage myself in the Lord, but it's awful nice to have a human being talk to you a little bit, pray with you. Hey, it's nice to have a human being, to be honest with you. Some of us live so quiet lives, so sheltered lives. Why? Because we want it to look good. Won't anybody really know what's inside the cup? Make that outside look pretty. And not see that there really is issues on the inside of that. It's a failure to walk in a way that really reveals what's going on in our lives. And can I tell you, there's really no benefit to you to be quiet about your faith or your struggles in your faith. You know, one of the things here at Emmanuel that if you're part of this church, you've been coming to that I'm going to pound and preach till you guys kick me out until I die. Is that struggles do not mean weakness. I'm going to tell you that to the day I die. Is that, you know, doubt 
and struggles should not be viewed as weakness among the people of God. It should be viewed as part of the journey. For someone to come up and say, I just don't really know if I believe in God anymore. That should be a time that you should thank God that someone had enough courage and had enough a desire and even thought of you in a certain way that you might be able to come and talk to them. Someone might say, you know what? I just don't know if I can do this. I have this in my life, and I'm wanting to do this, and I know it's wrong. You ought to thank God for that accountability, that person willing to come to you. And you shouldn't do what we all do. We're so consumed with our life that we don't say, okay, cool, man, I'll pray for you. I'm finding this out. A lot of times, not all the time, people don't need you to talk. They just want to know if you really care enough to listen. Sometimes we don't talk to people because, one, either they ain't got time or they're going to preach me three points in a poem. Just want to know if you give up 30 minutes. I'll never get those 30 minutes back. Do you think it's an accident? God let them come down your path that day? That wasn't on the itinerary. God, I had this, this, and this to do today. It's okay. He's still sovereign. He's still got a point in it. And it's awesome he chooses you to help have a point in making that person more like Christ. That's an awesome thing. Not a burden. When we view it as a burden to be an accountability person in someone's life, boy, we are so missing the mark. Church isn't just what we're doing right here. This is to help us go out there and be the church. If I can't be the church out there and be the church in here, I'm a hypocrite. And you are too. If you don't like it, I'm sorry. I love you. But I love you enough to tell you that. And to understand that, to have be willing to understand that sharing struggle, sharing doubt is, is, a, is not a weakness among the people of God. You should be free to go up to brothers and sisters and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I'm doubting this. I don't get this. I don't see God in this. I'm really waning right now. Can I tell you, doubt isn't weakness, but quit trying to carry it all on your own. Some of you in here, I mean, you, you, you're kind of like me. You got a problem, what do you do with that problem? You bottle it up and just throw it in there. And just bottle it up, throw it in there, bottle it up, throw it in there. You know what's going to happen one day? Something's going to happen. You're going to explode. You're going to explode on someone or something that did not deserve it, but they're going to get the whole truck. You're looking at someone who's been very guilty of that in their life. Very guilty. You know why? Because I didn't share anything. Now, by the way, be selective in that. And don't always go find the person that's going to agree with you, by the way. We talked about it in Galatians a couple weeks ago, in Galatians 6.1. Part of restoring one and being spiritual means finding people that will tell you the truth about yourself. Don't surround your life with cowards. You know what coward is? Oh, you're doing great. I agree with you. Oh, you're doing, yeah, they shouldn't have said that to you. Man, yeah, I know you're working on Man, you're getting better at it. No, I need people in my life to say, hey, dummy. You know you just talk to your wife like that? You know, it's totally blew off who that person's trying to tell you right there. You know what? You look very prideful today. What's going on in your life? You need people like that. You, we all got enough fans. We don't need any fans. We need people to tell us, say, hey, your priorities are jacked up. We need that. Now, we need that in meekness and love, don't we? But you know what? I'm not in control of how they do that. I am in control of how I receive that. And I don't love that. I'll just be honest with you. You come up to me and say, well, Brother Phil, since you preached that this morning, I have made a short whew, list of some things in your life. <laughs> I'm not going to probably hug you and say, man, thank you. But you know what? If my heart ever decides to leave that selfish pride of hypocrisy, 
I may never tell you, but I will be thankful you did it. But you know what? We're not willing to have those people in our lives to do those things. We refuse to walk in the type of reality where we can allow people to hear us, to support us. And can I just be honest with you? Us as men struggle with that more than anybody else. I love you ladies. Some of you ladies have no problem divulging everything. I mean, you, you don't mind. Sharing, tears start flowing, everything. That's great. Guys are like, what do I do? How you doing? What's up? You all right? Good. I mean, that's a conversation. Guys can sit there for three hours. Not, you're up. Yep, good, 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 good. No. Ladies don't do that a lot of times. I know some of you ladies are different with that. I know some of you guys are a little different too. You know, with that. I get that. I understand. Some love sharing. But can I tell you something? You need to have that, at least that one in your life. And I'm not taking away from God, okay? But you need that one person in your life that you can say, hey, man, I am struggling with this right now in my life. And I know it's wrong, but I want it. And you know what? It might be your spouse. But can I just help you with something? Because you are so close together, that needs to be a one, probably not the only one. Because my spouse loves me in spite of me. It probably needs, that needs to be one of them. But I need to have some other ones. And I have some in my, in my life. I could probably hold them on one hand. Now, you know, why don't we do this? If you're like me, I've done this before and I've got burned. I've had somebody take what I've said and pour my heart out and trash me. So you know what I do? I clam up. I don't share anymore. I don't reach out anymore. I don't help anybody else. I stay in my lane, bro. You stay in your lane. That's not what it's about. And so if you're here and you say, Phil, I've done this and I have just got dumped on. Pray and ask God to send that one to you that loves you enough, that'll be faithful to you enough. You know what? It's amazing. We have not because we ask not. Because we don't really want accountability. <laughs> we don't. But you think about it in your life. Do you have that one that can look at you and just be honest with you? Doesn't mean I do. And I get mad at them sometimes. And I say, who are you think you are? I've had people do that to me where they've asked me to do that. And I look and say, hey, man, I'm noticing this in your life right now. They go, well, you're not perfect either. And say, that's great. I got people that remind me of that every day. But that's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about here is this issue right here. And you're totally right. And we can talk about that sometimes if you want. But let me help you with what's going on right here. And by the way, we need that more than just what's proclaimed from the pulpit. You need it in your everyday life. You need people preaching things into your life. That's why you hear me and you hear other people Put things and pound things. Say, Phil, if you say it one more time, I can say it backwards and in Greek, okay? You can say it. But that's why we say a lot of the same things to help. You could probably finish some of my sentences of what I say. What I always, one of the things I like to say you probably could finish for me is that the Christian life is not about perfection, but it's about direction. You've heard that, right? You know why I'm going to say that? Because there's going to be times in your life you're going to feel a failure spiritually, and I want you to ask yourself, but what direction am I heading? There's going to be things that I say that other people say that you can preach them again when you're not here on Sunday morning, when it's Tuesday. You need that. I need that. I need those things. I know our time is up, but let me just share these verses with you real quick. They'll, they'll pop them up on the screen here for me. But this idea of having that one in your life, can, can I read you just real quick a portion out of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10? It says this. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, 
the one will lift up his fellow. But woe unto him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. You know why it's great to have that one in your life? Because when you fall, it's great to have that brother or sister. You can say, hey, let's, let's keep going, man. He says, whoa, danger that one that says, I'm going to do this Christian life on my own. It's going to be rough. It's already going to be rough. But we go on. Proverbs 27, verse 17 says this, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friends. And I like this one in regard to relationships because I think relationships I've grown the most in are relationships where walking with that person has caused me some good hurt, if you understand what I mean. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. I need friends that will love me enough to wound me, not to kill me, to wound me. There's going to be people in their life that look for that chance to kill you. And I'm not mean physically, hopefully not. It's all right if a friend wants to wound you. It's all right. You need that in your life. I need it in my life. And then uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 says this, But exhort one another daily, why is called today, lest any of you harden through the deceitfulness of sin. You can see all these things start to go together. You can see how they all kind of go together, the idea of we don't harden our hearts through the deceitfulness of sin. And if you think about how it actually plays out in your life and you build these relationships and these things help you and, and these people help you, and, and, and the idea of understanding this, it, it's kind of like this. I mean, around here, we know how to fellowship, right? If you do much around this church, you're going to eat something. You're probably going to have some fried chicken. You can have my piece. Y'all know how I feel about that. You can have my sweet tea. You can have my cheesecake. You can have my fried chicken. You can even have the grits on the side. I don't want it. You keep it. But it's sad. And I'll be this way, too. Okay, I'm not down on this, okay? I love this, too. But it's sad how we can get a room full of people and watch a ball game and fellowship and eat and slap five and go crazy and love each other, but we can't get them together to pray together. Can't get together to pray. Because you know what? We just show them what we love. This church in Acts had all things in common, which means, you know what? They're willing to say, hey, man, I'm struggling with this. We have all things in common, too. It's just sometimes the wrong interest. By the way, you say, Phil says I shouldn't have a football party at my house. That is not what I said. Have fun. Jump over the couch. Be excited. My team's not going to do well. So be at least excited about your team, okay? Have a good time. <laughs> have a good time. Okay? But there's something wrong when the people of God can't come together under the common denominator of grace by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we want to hide our struggles. We don't mind showing how big of a goof we are on the team we love. But we don't want to let anybody know, really, that we struggle with lying over here. Now, like I said, be careful who you pick. Be careful. Because we don't want to live. If you're like me, I definitely don't want to die a hypocrite that's pretending and not actually being. Let's stand together, if you will. Father, thank you.